Gonna get high on the fucker. Gonna get high on Welcome to the Two Brothers, One Dad Dead podcast. Today we're going to talk about death. For as daring as a guy as my dad as our dad was at the very end you know despite all his bravado about you know darkness darkness be my pillow and being a very daring cavalier guy who even under some really intense situations and intense pressure where death seemed like yeah it could happen if if this goes wrong and him being so cool as a cucumber in those situations that when the end came, I mean, in a way, there's no other way to say it, say it except that I was a little disappointed that he wasn't as brave as I thought he would be. And, you know, I've been doing a lot of thinking about that. And part of me is like, well, maybe that's, that's like the best definition of death you're going to get is the ultimate disappointment. So... I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying that's how I feel. I mean, do you think do you think it's fair to say, Jay Bear, just to start that? Yeah, we probably had more intense situations than maybe they they had on Leave It to Beaver. Maybe a little bit, <laughs> or a lot. Yeah, we had a lot of pretty intense situations. Like, what are some of yours that stand out? And I'm also especially interested in if Dad wasn't the ones that dad was involved in, how he kind of acted and reacted. Mm -hmm. Well, just to kind of set the scene, right when I moved out here, I noticed pretty quickly that there was, um, like, in our laundry room, there was gunpowder all over the floor because he used to, like, recase his bullets. Yeah. Or whatever the term is. There, he had... Reload. We would, we would reload ammunition back there, yeah. Yeah, and he had, like, this little dispenser that you would crank and gunpowder would always be leaking out of it. Um, so the first time I did laundry, I was like, dad, what's this like weird kind of graphite looking stuff? And he's just like, oh, that's gunpowder. It's like, okay, not something I was used to, but he also had, um, and there was no, there was no, like, you know, I, I guess at military bases and, you know, just anywhere people kind of, you know, follow common sense rules. There's usually, there's not supposed to be smoking where there's loose gunpowder, but I mean, I'm sure he smoked if not in there, then near there. Like I'm sort of amazed. I, I've said this mm -hmm. before, but I'm sort of amazed that nobody got shot and nothing blew up ever. Not only that, but then nobody got poisoned. Cause like he kept bottles of mercury and arsenic in our house too. Yeah, that's right. Kind of, yeah. I think we definitely got the, I know the Darwin Awards for stupid people, but we should like literally get an award for being able to survive all that. Yeah. What did he say when you asked about what the graph, or when he said gun, he just said, oh, gunpowder? Well, then he, I think I said like, what, why do you have this? And he explained that he's like, you know, reloading his own ammo, ammo to save money. And yeah. I don't know. He just kind of brushed it off like that. And I thought it was weird, but what more could I say? Yeah. He's like, oh, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. Like. Well, and then the chemicals were because he worked, he worked in wastewater treatment at a mm -hmm. uh, airplane engine manufacturing plant. 
And I know he went through this thing for a while where he was really kind of like gleefully like stealing stuff from his work. Do you, do you remember that thing? Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, and I thought it was so kind of like, why would you put your job and livelihood in danger for like, I don't know, a quart of like, I remember, do you remember we had that bottle of Quicksilver around? Yeah. And I, I forgot that we had cyanide. Why did we have cyanide? He told me it was for a mouse problem that we got. Okay. Or that we had, I mean, he said that he would um, put it in peanut butter because I guess peanut mice like peanut butter. And he said that for some reason, instead of just getting like a mouse trap like normal people, he wanted to be all crafty and poison them. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then we also had, do you remember we had a bottle of chloroform? Oh, actually, sorry. Can I just back up a sec? Sure, sure. Yeah, no, actually, I'm just remembering. He also said that it had something to do with prospecting the cyanide like you use that or you can use that in some forms of prospecting huh and i I don't remember exactly why but it was some some both reasons i think um and then so i mean and what other things did you notice when you first moved out there i mean what was your what was your like take like try to try to describe to the listeners like what that house was like when you moved there well, apart from gunpowder on the floor and all the chemicals, um, there were like guns in every room, which I wasn't used to at all. Yeah. So I, I don't remember like knowing what my take was. I just remember thinking that it was kind of strange that he had all these really dangerous things around the house. Yeah. But I, I ought to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, but at ahead. the same time, I don't remember being like super scared. Yeah. I don't know why. Did you like shooting? I, I'm trying to remember. Did you like to come go shooting and stuff or not really? Yeah, I was kind of hesitant about it at first, but when we went camping up in the Bradshaw Mountains, yeah, I don't remember how many times, at least one, maybe two, um, we went shooting. I shot, I think, with a 22 and an AR, if I remember right. And yeah, I thought it was fun. It was a little scary, but it was fun also. Yeah. Whereas when I moved out there, well, one, grandma was still there, so all his guns were, like, in his room or in the closet. But it just Uh seemed, for some weird reason, there was, like, after grandma left, like, he started keeping guns under the couch and Uh under the table. I mean, basically, you couldn't open a drawer without there being a firearm there. Yeah, no. And um, on that couch in the living room... You know, I talked in our last episode about how I would take naps there sometimes. I remember Mm -hmm. one day I was taking a nap and just, you know, totally chill and relaxed. And my arms were kind of just, I don't even know how, but they got under the cushion on the couch. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, there's a revolver here. It's like, what the hell? (laughs) Yeah. So what was the most dangerous or death-defying situations in Phoenix, you know, with or without that, that, that you've experienced? With or with, do you want me to go chronologically or just? Uh, however you want to do it. Yeah. Um, chronologically is good if, if you, if yeah, that. yeah. Yeah. Well, the first major one, speaking about guns, I remember I was at home and you had called me from one of your jobs, I think, and there was like a gun. Wasn't there like a shelf next to the phone? Yeah. I don't remember where what. Grandma had used to keep her like bric-a-brac, like, you know, commemorative plates and stuff. Yeah. 
And I remember there was like a gun on the ledge of the shelf, which was next to the phone. And we were talking and like, I wasn't depressed or upset about anything at all. I was just kind of mindlessly toying with it with my hands mm -hmm. and it went off while I was talking to you. Yeah. Scared yeah. the shit out of me. What did I say? I don't know if you heard it because I was like, you just were like, I think you acknowledged something. You were like, is everything okay? But you never said like, did I hear a gun go off? Or like, I don't know what you heard on your end. Do you remember that? No. And it must've been, it's weird though, because it must've been like maybe a little 22 because like guns make a lot of noise. That's why you wear hearing protectors when you go shooting. So I'm yeah. surprised it didn't, were your ears ringing afterwards? Oh yeah. I mean, I could still oh. hear you, but like it was, it was super loud. Wow. Where did the bullet go? I don't know. Cause the house was already pretty, pretty, um, Trash. dirty and trashed at that point. Yeah. That, yeah, wow. That scared okay. the shit out of me. So yeah. there was that. Um, and then it, it felt like I hadn't really had one in a long, for a long time after that. I remember maybe six, seven years ago, it was my first day at this new job. Mm -hmm. And I was, dad actually let me borrow his car and it was my lunch. Well, after, after you had been there for six or seven years. So you were like in your like mid to late teens or something then, right? No, no, no. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think there was one for quite a while after that. Oh, okay. Okay. But um, this was like when I was an adult. Okay. And it was my lunch break. And I was really worried about getting back in time. So I took this little shortcut through an alley. And up ahead, there was like a mattress in the middle of the alley. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to judge it. And like, hmm, I wonder if I can get over this. And oh, it was flat on the ground? And you were wondering if you could drive your car over it? It was flat on the ground, but it was upside down. So okay. like the springs would have been facing up. Okay. And I was, I made the stupid ass decision that I could get over it. Mm -hmm. So I drove over it. <laughs> Everything seemed okay. Like there was like, I didn't hear a tire pop. My air pressure gauge was okay. Or the little mm -hmm. thing on the dash. Mm -hmm. And then, so I kept driving down the alley and then it led to like this major street that I had to get on to go back to work. What street? Just out of curiosity. It was in the avenues. I don't remember like, okay. 19th ish but i'm not okay. sure yeah okay. and so i was driving down 19th avenue or whatever it was turned down the street and as i'm like getting really close to my building there's this guy standing on the corner he's just like i think he's having a cigarette break and he has, has his music on his headphones and he looks at me and he like rips his earbuds out it starts waving his arms at me, like, like <laughs> flailing his arms at me. And I was like, huh? And he's like making the motion to like roll my window down. So mm -hmm. I did. And he's like, hey, bro, your car is on fire. I was like, what? He's like, dude, it's on fire at the bottom. So I jump out. It's going like one or two miles an hour, whatever, turning the corner. I jump out. And then sure as shit. It just kind of pulls over to the curb and it's like mm -hmm. totally in flames at the bottom. Wow. Yeah. So I was like, what the hell? And me and this dude were kind of like laughing and kind of in shock. 
And so I call the fire department and they come. And it was the funniest thing because they come and they look at this car. And by the time they got there, it was like really engulfed. Did they it looked, explode or just like? No, I kept okay. wondering, but it, it never okay. did. And me and this guy like got like far enough back. Far, yeah. But the fire people came. They put it out. And after them, like, they didn't say one word. And after that, I walked up to, like, the captain or whatever of the crew. I was like, oh, thank you so much. And he just looked at me and looked at the car and did that a couple of times. Like, he had just, like, this look like, what the hell just happened? Yeah. And he just, they just all drove away. Like, they never even asked me what happened or anything. Was it, was it apparent <laughs> that there was a mattress stuck under your car? Well, I, since they wouldn't talk to me, I couldn't ask them that. Yeah. And then what happened to the car? So the car was, you know, totally destroyed, obviously. Dad had it towed to Mr. Moisey, who's like our family mechanic for going mm -hmm. back a long time. And I don't remember if Dad thought something could be salvaged from it or what. But... <laughs> Mr. Moisey told him later that, you know, Jesse was really lucky because that where it was burning came like extremely close to the fuel line. Whoa. That's nuts. And you know what? The, yeah, I, I just realized when you were talking about the avenues, you forgot to talk about when you got robbed because we were all living in mm -hmm. dad's house when you got robbed, right? It's funny. I think talking about the avenues just reminded me of that as a matter of fact. So this was earlier, um, I was, I had just started community college and I was walking back home at night. So from Phoenix college to dad's house. Okay. So like 15th Avenue Thomas to like 12th, 12th McDowell. McDowell. Yeah. 12th street McDowell. Yeah. 12th okay. Street McDowell, right. And I was walking back. It was, I don't remember what time of year, but it was already dark. I, I don't remember the time of day, but I just remember it was like a dark evening I was walking by this apartment complex, um, right by, I don't know if you remember it, but there was like a post office and a Taco Bell on that no, corner. No, I remember the apartment complex, and I'll tell you why when okay. you're going through story, because there was some follow-up, some surprising follow-up uh, on my end, but go ahead. Sure. And so I was walking by there, and these three or four guys with nylon stockings like jumped out of the bushes or out of the darkness or whatever. Nylon stockings on their legs? On their... <laughs> Well, maybe that too, on their heads. Okay. And they jumped out and ambushed me. And one of them put a gun to my head. And dude, he was like, give me all your fucking money. He's like, give us everything you got. And dude, like when it comes to shit like that, I'm a big believer in compliance. Oh, me too. I mean, yeah, it's so stupid be, yeah. to like try to argue. Especially when people have like a knife or even worse, like a gun to you. Yeah, And so I was emptying my pockets, I had my backpack on, and I was just like dumping all that out. I think the only thing I really had was like a disc mat or something, like yeah. 20 bucks. But anyway, it was like getting obvious to me that it was getting close to being over, and I hear like the click. So like the dude pulled the trigger, and I heard like the click. Whoa. And he did it again. Whoa. Dude, it was, I was fucking... Did the gun misfire, or was it... No, it never Empty? went off. Okay. So I'll, I'll, I have something to say about that in a minute. Sure. sure. So, of course, I'm freaking the fuck out. 
call the cops and they're not really able to help me because I couldn't identify them. I get home, you know, tell you and dad about it. Yeah. And so whatever, dude, you know, it totally like freaked me out for a long time. So fast forward, maybe 16, 17 years or so. Yeah. I'm hanging out with dad. And I, it comes up kind of out of the blue, this whole situation. I was like, do you remember when this happened? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, yeah. And then he kind of sighed. He's like, I didn't want to tell you at the time because I thought it would have really scared you. And it's because it scared me. But he said that a little while after that, he was reading in the newspaper um, about like these guys that were on trial or had just been convicted of murders and muggings like right in that area and he said that one of them said during his testimony that like they had done it to I forget how many people that they had killed one or two people and that they had tried to kill more people but their gun kept like um I don't know if they jammed or what yeah yeah misfired wow hearing that was almost as scary as when it originally happened i bet and and when you just heard the click or was there like a fizzle like did it make any noise like it would like it shot but not shot right or was it just like a click like an empty gun no because i had shot before i would have known if it had gone off it just was making like the click like if there were as if like there were no bullets in it at all wow i didn't know that that's crazy and so i could never say 100 percent that it was those same guys but i mean there's a pretty good chance Pretty good chance. Yeah. Well, and I knew where it was just because once I was at work, I was working at that trade publishing place. It was my first like real full time job out of college. Mm -hmm. And then this is, you know, this is what the mid ish, mid 90s, 95, 96, something like that. Around there. Yeah. Yeah. Around there. And I like over the intercom, like instead of calling you directly, I think we all had office extensions, but like if, if somebody had a call, they would like the secretary would just say like over the over the intercom for the whole floor or sometimes the whole building if they were like looking for like a big boss like you know Mr. Jones please pick up extension 12 or whatever mm-hmm. and they're like uh Josh please pick up whatever extension whatever the a, a detective from the Phoenix police is on the phone for you and so i picked up and i was like hello and they're like yeah uh we found, we seem to have found your wallet in the bushes, like, and they named the apartment complex, which I forget. Oh no, they didn't even. They, they said we found your wallet or we found your ID, and I was like, "What? Your ID? Well, something like or something with my name on it, huh?" And then I somehow got it back, but it it worked out that I had given you one of my cards. It was like I'd given you my Blockbuster card or okay. something like that. Mm-hmm. So so basically, they took everything of value, but there was like some card with my name on it maybe you even had my business card i don't know yeah i don't i don't remember that's that's what happened yeah wow were you ever any any dangerous situations with dad like outside of you know a house that was on the verge of exploding or guns on the verge of going off do you mean like when you say dangerous situation one directed at me or just in general either or I mean, well, we we talked about it, I think, in the hoarding episode, but where he was talking pretty seriously about killing himself that one night. 
Yeah. yeah. Um, and then there's also the time where he was gardening and shot himself in the foot. Yeah. That was like, we had both moved out of the house and I don't know, was it gardening? I thought he was checking the mail and his gun fell and he didn't like, no, cause I, I, I was always... still living there. He, it was, he was oh. definitely gardening cause he'd even told me like, I'm going to go out front and do something. And then what happened? His gun fell. Oh, because he didn't have a hole to holster. stick his gun in his shorts. Right. Apparently without the safety on, which isn't, which is, see, and this is like my thing, like about your, about the gun going off while you're on the phone or the gun going off when it fell out of his shorts is he was always real big with me on gun safety. Like uh-huh. and he, he did believe in keeping one in the chamber because he's like, well, good to gun if you don't got one in the chamber. But he was also good about keeping the safety on. Yeah. But I guess I, not. Maybe that he he just kind of stuck being so careful about that. Yeah. So yeah, it fell, fell, went off on the ground and hit his foot. And I remember. Yeah, and I heard the noise and I came out there. He's like, you know, he was trying to act like it wasn't that bad. He's like, I'm okay, I'm okay, but maybe you should call. I don't remember if he asked me to call the ambulance or... I honestly don't remember, like, if he thought he needed medical attention. Yeah. But the cops came a little bit later, probably because the neighbor or somebody... They'd heard a shot fired, yeah. Yeah. And this was right... And then what happened? Tell me what happened, because I know that Dad was, like, at least to me and in the hospital, because I saw him in the hospital later, he mm-hmm. was, like, trying to, like, super downplay it. So, like, what happened? I'm, I'm curious, like, when the cops came... So the cops come, what happens? The cops come... They talk to him for a few minutes, and he's just giving that story about how it was a stupid accident. And I think, I don't know if they talked him into going to the hospital or if he decided he should, but, and I don't remember how he got there, to be honest. But then they asked if they could talk to me for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. And they came around the back of the house, and they were kind of just asking about his general state of mind. Like, Grandma had just died a little while earlier, by a few months or so, mm. and they, I remember they actually peeked in the house, too, and I kind of had to explain. Hoarding wasn't what I called it, but I kind of had to explain, like, how messy he was. Mm-hmm. And that's all that really happened with them. Like, they were super nice, and I think, you know, appreciated my cooperation, but other than yeah. that, he ended up at the hospital. What do you remember? Well, you know, I think I might have driven. Either I drove him to the hospital or I met him at the hospital. But Mm. I just remember being at the hospital and they kept like the doctors were like, wait, so what happened? He's like, oh, nothing. Just my gun went off. And they're like, well, how did your gun go off? Like, oh, you know, he just was like trying to like, oh, it's just a little nick. It's just a little scratch. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of mad because I was like. I was going to go with my friends to Durant's that night. Mm. Instead, at like six or seven or five or six, I get a call saying, you know, dad's in the hospital because he shot his foot. I was like, what? And then, and the thing is, yeah, I don't know. Just the way he was trying to like evade responsibility instead of just saying like, you know, it was just really weird. And I was Mm -hmm. like, why did you, don't you keep your gun on safety? He's like, Oh, yeah, it was. And I was like, well, then physically it couldn't go off if the safety was on. And he's like, well, I don't know. I was like, so that means your safety must have been off. Well, no, I'm pretty sure it was on. Like, 
well, it had to have been off if the gun, right. when it fell, right. went off because guns are very complex, you know, not very, but I mean, they're, yeah. they're well-engineered machines. They're not they just going to go off for no reason. Yeah, exactly. This isn't like the Wild West days where your gun could go off because it gets too hot or something like that. <laughs> so one of the most dangerous situations I was with dad in is um and i know you i'd be really curious as to your perspective afterwards so one day after community college you know because usually we got i got out of class at like two or three or something came home just kind of like changed and rested and whatever maybe had an iced coffee and i decided or not decided but i knew i was gonna go work with that guy mike and we did like um like home renovations and i helped him out with a lot of the demolition type stuff like and I thought it was a super fun job because I would just, you know, get a sledgehammer and then like knock out drywall or knock out a sink or whatever. So I hear something. I hear this like banging or something like all these doors shutting. And I'm like, what the heck? I peek out the window and I see all these people in blue running towards my motorcycle. And I thought because I had heard about the, these like, get, you know, we didn't live in a great neighborhood. It wasn't like terrible, but it wasn't great. And I had been reading these newspaper articles about people jumping out of a pickup truck, running towards somebody's motorcycle and just like all pick, you know, even if it had a lock on it or whatever, if it wasn't locked to something, just picking it up and throwing, throwing it in the back of their motorcycle. So I'm like, what? Is somebody trying to steal my motorcycle at like 1.45 and on a Tuesday afternoon? So I go to the front door and open the main door, but there was this little like screen door thing that would let the air in and out, uh, but was still lockable. And and just and luckily I didn't have my I didn't pick up my gun because you'd think if somebody's stealing your motorcycle, you would just kind of grab your gun and say, "Hey, stop, freeze, what the hell?" Well. It's a great thing I didn't pick up my gun because I heard, hey, stop, freeze, put your hands up. It was about 10. I mean, it looked like in my mind's eye, it looked like a you know, a lot, a lot of people with guns pointed at me. I mean, there was a shotgun, there were pistols, all this stuff. They were all ATF agents. They all had on the same blue flyer, you know, the, the same blue um, what's it called? Like windbreaker with B A T F Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms. All these guns are pointing at me from the other side of that screen door. I just put my hands in the air right in the air and they're like, okay, move slow. Don't move. Don't do anything stupid. I'm like, I'm not going to whatsoever. I was like, there's a key in this door. I will happily open it up. I just have to move my they're like okay move slow mother you know they didn't say motherfucker but they were just like they were not kidding around and i was like i had and of right. course i had no idea why this was happening uh mm -hmm. i opened the door slowly i kind of peeked back to dad dad had been sitting on the couch watching tv smoking a cigarette drinking an iced tea or iced coffee i glanced back at him and he all, you know, with his little like cap on, he already had his hands in the air, just sitting there in his underwear on the couch. You know, he, he, you know, they hadn't even seen him yet, but his hands, as soon as, you know, and that's my thing is like, he didn't hesitate for a second. Total, you know, he wasn't like, mm -hmm. oh, what's going on? He wasn't confused. He's just like, mm, boom, like the cops are here. My hands are in the air. I'm cool as a cucumber. Right. I opened the door. They, they 
took me out to the porch. Some of them swarmed past me. Some of them kind of surrounded me on the porch, frisked me. You know, I hear dad in the background, what's going on here? And they show him the, uh, the warrant. So they explained that because he was a convicted felon, he wasn't allowed to own firearms. And he explained back to them, like, super calm. Yes, I had been convicted of a felony. I was on because I it happened before I was 25 and I successfully complete, completed probation. It has been expunged. I am allowed to own firearms. And this whole thing happened because about a month or two beforehand, I had come home like same thing, getting home after school, about to get about to go to work down the street. So, but I'd come home this one day and the door was a little bit ajar. You know, this is about two months before the BATF showed up. The door was a little bit ajar. It's like, that's weird. Nobody was home. It's like, hmm, I guess somebody just forgot to lock the door, which was very odd considering we had two locking doors. So you could forget to lock one, but to forget to lock both of them, that's kind of weird. Go to the bathroom. And then all of a sudden, there's a, I, I noticed a bullet hole that wasn't there before. And I just froze. I was like somebody's been in this house. I very quickly and quietly got my own gun. Luckily, it was still there. Kind of searched, you know, very like straight out of the movies, like searched the whole house, like under the bed, in the closet, thinking like there could be somebody armed in this house who had come in to steal the guns, fired off a shot, Maybe they heard me come home two minutes after that. And they could be hiding in this house. So I searched the whole house, gun in my hand, adrenaline, like, like scared, but not scared, like shaking, scared, like every second is there was, you know, it's like right before a car crash, there's that, there's that crystal clarity that happens like right before, like when you're in a super dangerous situation, it's yeah. almost like time goes slower. So search the whole house. Nobody was there, but in my search, like my, my suspicion was correct. Somebody had stolen not all the guns. Cause you know, dad had probably, I mean, how many guns do you think dad had in that house total? 30, 40? At least 20, 25, I would say. There's about five or 10 guns missing. And I called the cop or, you know, I think dad came home soon after and we called the cops and reported like, I think there was five to 10 firearms missing fine right except mm -hmm. somehow the batf i don't know if they were notified or what but like oh this guy and the cops came out took the report didn't say anything to us but then mm -hmm. they must have there must be there must have been some sort of alert on dad's name that uh you know that he reported guns being stolen and first of all if dad was a convicted felon who wasn't allowed to own firearms you think he would tell the cops like, oh, yeah, I'm not allowed to own firearms, but somebody took some. I mean, I guess stupid or, you know, they say criminals are stupid, so I guess it can happen. So so somehow the BATF must have gotten an alert that like, oh, this guy reported gun stolen. But, hey, this guy's not allowed to own firearms. And then I don't know if you were there or if you remember, but one or two days before the raid happened, somebody knocked on our screen door and said, oh, is this... 1207 and we said no and there was that big sign with 1205 hanging like off our front porch i remember dad like right thinking, like right oh that that schnora like can he not read his letters mm -hmm. 
I recognized that guy. He was an agent like raiding our house the next. So basically he was just doing a little bit of recon on our house. Like what kind of doors do they have? Do they, I don't know, probably do they answer the doors with a gun? Oh, wow. Whatever. He's just yeah. like checking yeah. things. So dad was, you know, he was just begging with them like, on the mm-hmm. day of the raid, he's begging with them, like, please call the courthouse, you know, because it, time is going on. You know, first they frisked me. They, you know, some agents start tearing apart the house. Some agents are like surrounding dad, trying to question him. They, I mean, they tore apart everything. And dad is totally composed, totally cool. He's like, please call the courthouse before they close. I am allowed to own firearms. You know, we didn't have anything we weren't supposed to have at this, that house. I mean, though we did have some chemicals that he had stolen from work, uh, right. you know, like cyanide and stuff, but I don't think it was even labeled. So I don't, so there was yeah. stuff that would have been a little iffy, but, um, and after they questioned me, you know, I remember one of the things, like, they were in my room tearing apart everything. They found one of my handguns, and they said, uh, is this yours or is this your dad's? And actually, now that I think about it, I was 17 when this happened because this was my first semester of college. And I didn't know if, as a 17-year-old, I could legally own firearms. And I said, oh, it's my dad, but he lets me use it. So they took it. And I'm like, hey, uh, I need to go to work do I need to stay here? Am I under arrest? They're like, no, you're not under arrest. Uh-huh. I said, can I call my boss and tell him what's going on? And then I'm a little bit late. And they're like, yeah, sure. But they, I think they said, what's the number? And I told them what the number was. Uh-huh. They dialed it for me. You know, Mike picks up. He's like, hey. I said, hey, Mike, this is Josh. I said, hey, sorry, I'm a little bit late. And I, you know, sorry, I'm a little bit late. Um, you know, it's kind of crazy. Uh, our house has been raided by mistake. If you could call Aunt Julie and call the family lawyer, that would be great. The BATF agents kind of gave me a look like, you didn't tell us you were going to. I mean, you know, <laughs> but I wasn't mm-hmm. under arrest. But, I mean, of course yeah, I'm going to yeah, stay. Yeah. I'm sure. going to get the word out as soon as possible. Right. Um, so I hop on my motorcycle. You know, I left it. I felt a little bit guilty for leaving Dad there. Mm-hmm. And, I mean— they were you they were the house was already a wreck but they were just you know shelves on the uh books on the bookshelf they were just like putting their hand there and then just throwing all the books down i mean it was like they were tossing that place they were you know pushing up the couches you know everything and uh when i got to mike's He's like, what the hell is going on? He said, soon as you hung up with me, I got another call and nobody said anything. And, you know, he was kind of a paranoid guy already because I think he smoked a lot of weed. And he's like, I'm sure they put a trace on my call now. I said, I'm sorry about that. Did you call my aunt? And he's like, yes, I called your aunt. So I I got on the phone with Julie, described a little bit more what happened. She called uh one of the van osteen lawyers Mm -hmm. that that we had used for our family for different things and i felt i don't i wouldn't say guilty i mean i wasn't sure if that was the right move to leave dad alone with the agents right but later on he said no that was the exact right move because you know if we're both kind of under the agent's control nobody can help us but if you are able to get out and get the word out then you and me aren't at the mercy of these goddamn BATF agents. Yeah. And he was sure that 
they knew it, you know, he was sure he's like, you know what? And he named some agent's name. He's like, that one guy at the BATF has always hated me. He always kind of had like this weird vendetta against me. He's Uh like, I'm pretty sure that, you know, not the agents who raided us because they seemed like very confident, Mm -hmm. but that somebody was like, oh yeah, like this guy's not supposed to own firearms. Okay guys, let's raid him. Who who knows? And you were, you were coming up to the house at this time. Mm -hmm. Like, so you kind of saw what happened, what was your perspective on it? I didn't see the actual raid, but yeah, like, do you remember there was that little alley that led up to our house? Yes, right, yeah. Yeah, I like to, like, take that alley from school, and I was walking through it, and I saw, I got to the end of the alley, looked at the house as I was crossing the street, and I saw, like, the van, and I saw the agents, and I just kind of, I mean, it was pretty anticlimactic. I just kind of walked up to them, and I was like, um what's going on? You know, should I be here or something like that? And they're just like, yeah, no. Can you like, just kind of not, basically they asked me not to come home for a while. Oh, did you tell them that you live there? Yeah. No, I said like, this is my house. Or they asked me and I said, yeah, this is my house. And they may have said like, is William Christ your father? And I said, yeah. And then they're just like, okay, can you just kind of hang loose and like, you know, do whatever for a while? And I just kind of took off and I don't remember what I did, but I came back. Like I gave myself like hour hour and a half or something like that because i thought maybe this is memory playing tricks with me i thought that at the time you'd said you had told me something like they'd said get you know you might want to get lost because there might be a lot of shooting am i totally making that up oh god i don't remember that i mean yeah it could be my memory playing like trying to like block that but i don't remember that well and it could be my memory because uh like for you know a good couple months after that you know and I had never seen dad in such an intense situation mm-hmm. be so super cool yeah. and have his head together. And I guess eventually he did talk them into, you know, he's, he said, I was very polite. He said, I just kept insisting. He's like, please. He's like, I'll tell you guys whatever you want. I'll open this. I'll open that. Mm-hmm. I am completely compliant, but please, please, please just call the courthouse. If I'm lying, you'll know in 30 seconds and bad on me. He was basically like, look, I'm totally telling the truth. We can find this out very quickly. And they finally did call the courthouse. And when they found out that, oh, yeah, he had that expunged from his record. We should have never gotten that alert. And that's another reason that dad thought that some guy was basically Uh just, it was like a big fuck you to Mm -hmm. dad. And maybe they were hoping they would find drugs. Because I remember one of the agents, the guy who was questioning me in my room he's like do you guys have any needles here i was like uh no do you have any drugs i was like no i'm i'm clean man and you know and he's like did you ever have any drugs here i said nope and Mm -hmm. you know i was just like right 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 buddy all i'm telling you is i'm clean and serene we got nothing here that is illegal nothing at all but i had so maybe the reason that I invented that little detail uh-huh. is because for I for some reason I not long afterwards I was I stayed at grandma's house. She asked me to like watch her house. Her and Julie uh-huh. went to San Diego or something. And like I like when it happened, I I felt cool as a I mean it, it was intense, but I felt cool as a cucumber. Like I remember actually the BATF people were like laughing a little bit because there was this one like kind of 
very attractive younger female agent and I was like oh hey what's your name and like but I, it was just a reaction to stress you know what right, I, mean? I was right. just trying to be cool mm-hmm. and I was like flirting with her a mm-hmm. little bit and then she's just like shaking her head like oh my god but at grandma's house I would you know be by myself I would hear like whatever the the bushes rustle and I would get freaked out and I realized and I would like and before I would fall asleep I would have these visions of like people busting in the door and pointing guns at me. So basically I had P even though I didn't I don't think I called it PTSD at yeah. the time. It was pretty scary. Yeah. I have yeah. never had so many guns pointed at me in anger. Yeah. You know, I've had I've had guns pointed at me in anger three times in my life. Mm-hmm. Only once was there more than one and there was like 12. You know, <laughs> there was a lot of weapons. Mm-hmm. How many how many agents were there do you think? Yeah. Probably, I remember thinking at the time, probably like 10 or so, give or take a few. Okay, yeah. yeah. There were a lot. Um, I mean, it wasn't like an army, but it was like a pretty good amount. Yeah. And so when I came home after work, dad was like, perfect move. Thank mm-hmm. you. That was great. That was really good thinking to, to, to find any excuse you could to get out, to get the word out to Julie. And just how cool calm and collected he was i was really impressed because even though i tried to act i tried to i tried to look like i wasn't freaking out mm-hmm. i think maybe i kind of was and i was like wow this guy's not freaking out at all and i think that's why towards the end of his life like you know when i would was visiting him in the hospice i would you know one i couldn't really talk to him because he was so out of it Mm -hmm. on you know opiates the whole time but why you know when he was at the hospice I was wondering like does he know what's going on and it's not yeah it's weird because it's not like oh I hope he knew what was going on so he could be scared out of his mind but just in my mind's eye he was this guy who no matter what was happening he would keep like a clear head and like the best he he did like a textbook response to to pressure situations, and, and mm-hmm. you know the raid wasn't the only pressure situation. Um, and you know when I did see him at the hospice, I remember this one lady, the nurse, like coming by to check his medication. She looked at me, and I'll never forget this. And she said, "You know, she like is like trying to talk to dad and like ask. You know, he wasn't able to eat. He was only drinking. You know, those insurers." She looked at me and she said, do you know what's going on here? And I did know what was going on here. But when she said it like that, it was just like, whew. Yeah. 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 I know. I, I know what's going on here. And I just kind of like, I didn't even say anything to her. I just kind of like looked at her, thought for a second. I was like, yeah. Yeah. Just nodded my head and like, mm-hmm. And she kind of like gave me a look. It's amazing how much information you can pass with a look in in certain situations and she just kind of like nodded and, and kind of smiled at me and mm. you could tell she's like man yep this dude's watching his dad die so during that time i he didn't have the capability to you know look in the eyes let alone tell it to go away but i feel like even before that when he was lucid and he would have a heart attack 
And then afterwards, he'd be like, oh, no big deal. Like, he did this weird minimization thing, which in a way I understand. And maybe to him, that was bravery. Maybe he's like, I had a heart attack. Guess what? Fuck it. I'm not going to let it change. Mm -hmm. Like, he kind of refused to... I think this is what it is. When does saying fuck you to reality turn from braveness and I'm going to go my own way to denial? Because I think that's what it was. It's not that even that he just didn't look it in the eyes. I felt like he was kind of in denial his last few years. And I know we've talked about that. Instead of saying like, hey, boys, I've had seven heart attacks. Guess what? I'm not long for this world, but I'm going to enjoy my Whoppers in the meantime. Like if he would have said that, like, mm -hmm. that's what the dad I grew up with would have said. Right. And maybe, yeah. Yeah, no, because he always had sort of like a, such a swagger about it, right? Like, exactly. Like Jim Morrison, break on through to the other side. This is the end. Exactly. You know, he always seemed almost like he couldn't wait for it in like a weird way. Well, and that's another thing that he was so flirtatious yeah, with death yeah. when he was younger. I mean, when he got drunk, like one of his favorite songs was, was Suicide is Painless, like Suicide, from which the was Mash actually movie. the, yeah, from the MASH movie, mm -hmm. it was, you know, or he would play that song, Darkness, Darkness, Be My Pillow, Cover uh -huh. Me in Endless Sleep. Yep. And just seemed like, yeah, like you said, like so Jim Morrison-y about it. Mm-hmm. That when it actually did come, he was the there was none of that. Jim Morrison yes, about it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. There was none of that to be had. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you think that's... And what do you think about what I think? No, I think you're spot on. I mean, I don't know like why it turned out that way, but except maybe just when he was younger, he could afford mentally to be more cavalier about it. But then when yeah. it was more like looking at him straight in the eye, dead on, that went by the wayside. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Why, and I though. get and, and so here's where, you know, I, and I used the word disappointment earlier. Mm -hmm. and, and I know and, and it's not like, who knows? Like Ellen said, you know, like my wife said, she's like, you know, until it happens, like, you don't know how you're going to be. But he was always a guy who I felt like looked it in the eye so much that that he couldn't look it in the eye or even like really talk about it towards the end. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Just and maybe, you know, again, maybe death is like disappointment is like the defining factor of death. Okay. And maybe it's also it's very unfair of me. You know, like that's something I also wonder about. Like, yeah, mm. this is how I feel. It might not be fair. Yeah, I don't um, know. But I mean, I'll say when they found that tumor in my bladder earlier mm -hmm. this year, oh man, I mean, it's a, it's a breath. I mean, it's, it's a real moment of clarity, but I thought, you know, and I looked up, of course, like, Elena's like, you should not look up like the survival rates and all that stuff. And it was like, man, if this has, if this tumor has worked its way into my bladder wall, like so long and thanks for all the fish people. <laughs> But I really, oh, and it was, I mean, it was, Dude, me, it was yeah. very, very upsetting. It was upsetting way. for all of us. Yeah. But I would still, you know, I even told myself like, okay, if, if, if it looks like I'm a goner, I'm really going to try to be brave about it. 
Mm-hmm. And I remember what you told me. You said, like, regardless of what the outcome is, you hope that you'll handle it with your typical class and dignity and humor. Did I say that? Something like that, yeah. I mean, yeah. you were laughing, but it is true. I mean, I think, yeah, I think you would have. So, I mean, do you think I'm being unfair or hard on dad for expecting, for kind of almost being disappointed that old, at the end of his life, dad wasn't middle of his life, dad? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I don't know if you're being hard on him or not, um, because I never really thought or felt disappointed. I just wish, and maybe you're just saying this in another way, but I just wish that he would have been more honest with himself and others about it. Right. Yeah. Do you think he was honest with himself? Or like, do you think he was bullshitting us while not bullshitting himself? Or do you think he I, was bullshitting himself? That's something I've wondered a lot. Really? I, yeah, I really don't know. We can yeah. only go by like what he has said to us, you know? Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. None of this makes me love him any less. No, but no. Like, I think it was it was him who I learned from where he's like, you know what? You can lie to me. You can lie to your mom. You can lie to your wife, whatever. He's like, but just don't lie to yourself. He's like, as long as you can be honest with yourself, you know, not that you'll be okay, but in a lot of ways, maybe, maybe that's what dignity is. It's mm. being honest with yourself about mm. what's going on. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And, you know, he had some close calls. Like, I don't know, when he was younger, in his attitude, and this is another thing. So when he was in his gold mining days, you know, he lived out in the desert for about a year or something like that. Just mined enough gold to go into town, make, you know, 50, 100 bucks, buy some ammo, buy some canned beans. You know, he knew when the, the local bookmobile was going to be at the nearest mm-hmm. intersection, 20 miles away, whatever, would bring in his old books that he borrowed and grab 10 or 20 or whatever the limit of new books was. And so one day, for whatever reason, he was on a, not a horse, but like a donkey. Maybe he was on a horse. He was riding some sort of pack animal. He mm-hmm. was guiding some sort of pack animal and he was on the back of it. And he said that this thing threw him off and he landed hard, like on his tailbone. Sheesh. And and then he said, and then I tried to get up, but my legs weren't working. And I was like, whoa, like, so what'd you do? He's like, well, I just sat there and I thought, okay, if somebody doesn't find me in two or three days, you know, I have my pistol here and I'll, you know, once, once basically I'm going to hang out, I'm going to hang on as long as I can. But once I get to the suffering and like massive dehydration and organs start shutting down, mm-hmm. like before I go, once that starts, cause I don't want to go too far down that road. He's like, my plan was just to end it all. Just, you know, wow. shoot myself in the head. Wow. Like, holy shit, that's hardcore. That's the thing. Yeah. And that's another yeah. thing. He was a hardcore motherfucker during his life. And, and I saw it happen. You know, mm-hmm. I saw him be a hardcore MF for plenty of times. And again, uh, yeah, you know, like I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's you know, a head scratcher. It, it, yeah. It's a head scratcher. Did he, didn't he also get trapped under, or pinned under a car or something like that? Yeah, that's right. 
I, that wasn't I, everything he said happened like on the one hand in slow motion, but on the other hand, really fast. I guess he was in Cleveland. So this must have been like, you know, just for a year or two. And he was what I think in his very early 20s or very late teens. I think um, it was more like late teens, mid to late teens. He was in one of those cars. What what's the unsafe at any speed car with Ralph that Ralph Nader like he wrote that car, he wrote that book Unsafe oh, at Any Speed. I don't Poor know. Bear. I really well, don't. whatever that car was. Dad was with a group of people his own age going somewhere to a concert or something mm-hmm. in Cleveland, and they were on a kind of a backcountry road, and that car flipped over, and a piece of glass lodged itself into dad's ear and somehow dad got thrown through the window or something like that and he said next thing i know there's this big farmhand looking down at me picking me up and he looked more scared than i did he said i just felt like i had the wind knocked out of me but he kept looking at me like i was like on death's doorstep and that started scaring me and he's like and i felt something kind of wet on my face so i touched it and I guess his blood was just like gushing out of his ear. But, you know, again, like he told the story with the usual panache. And it wasn't just that he was a good storyteller. It's that those times that I did see him like under pretty intense pressure and very dangerous situations, he kept his head. Right. Right. Do you know, mm-hmm. again, I, I don't know there's no real resolution and well maybe in his mind like keeping your head at the end of his life was the way he acted maybe that's how he felt he was keeping his head instead of like being all dramatic about it yeah i don't know like just keeping on keeping on Mm -hmm. was the best instead of rearranging his whole life although Mm -hmm. you know part of me is like if you would have arranged your life different you could still be alive right now but maybe he was like like you said, that was keeping his head at being like, fuck it. You know what? I'm going to keep smoking, even though I will never forget the time. Uh, you know, so he was on oxygen at the end of his life. And I'll never forget the time he like had a straw. Like, tell me about. So he had these like basically cigarette extenders so he could smoke his cigarettes while he was on oxygen. So it kept the cigarette like eight or ten inches from his face. And he basically like <laughs> smoked through a straw. It was like he was trying to make it like what you see in the old movies, those like long black, nice looking cigarette holders. He made like oh, a God. totally trashy version of that. And yeah, it's like, like, yeah, it just stuck the cigarette at the end of it, held the straw out from him. And he's like, yeah, I can still smoke. Like this shouldn't be as dangerous. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's like, okay, dad, ask your doctor about, is smoking by an oxygen machine is dangerous or not, even if it's a few yeah. inches further from you. And, you know, and I, I just remembered this too, because I remember I had expressed something like what, you know, what I've been expressing to my wife and Carrie, your ex-wife, not long after dad died. And Carrie said, well, for what it's worth, when me and the kids went to visit him, he said, uh-huh. he said something like, you know, thanks for visiting um, but, you know, if you've seen one man on his deathbed, you've seen everything, you know, you've like if you've seen one man on your deathbed, something, something. So it was like one of his. I think she was telling him they would try to come again. And he's like, once you've seen or like you've already seen me on my deathbed once, no need to do it again. Something like that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. 
So maybe that's it. Maybe dad I don't know. couldn't express that stuff to us. But like Could when be. I hear that, I got a, you know, maybe I'm being totally fucked up. Like I'll admit it. Maybe I'm being totally fucked in the head, toxic masculinity, whatever. I don't think so. But like, because I'll say hearing that he said that, like, that's the bill I grew up with. And that's yeah. the bill who like, fuck it. I'm not, yeah. Well, you saw me on my deathbed already. And these, no reason to come back. Like that's panache. Oh yeah. But yeah. That's more than panache. It's bravery and it's clear eyedness. Mm -hmm. So, like, I get a lot of, however it might, as fucked up as it might sound, I get a lot of comfort out of the fact that he said that. Yes. And that, and that he knew because I didn't know what the hell he knew at the end. Yeah, no. And trust me, I'm no cult of death. Like, I'm no Jim Morrison break on through the others. I want oh, to live neither. as yeah. long as possible. Hells, yeah. Like, and if I can be 110 or if I can live healthily, like if there's some medical breakthrough, I can live to 120. That's awesome. I have no oh, yeah. dreams of dying in a blaze of glory. I want to die like. No, honestly, dude, like when you hear about how they're making like advancements in longevity all the time, there's some people who are like, oh, no, I don't want to live for a super long time. I, you know. I'm like, hell no, make me live as long as you can, motherfucker. Oh, yeah. No, I, you know, I want to die in bed surrounded by, like, my great-great-grandkids. You know what I mean? Like, I want the most peaceful, hallmark moment. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I want to die, I, yeah, like, Rose and Titanic, an old person in bed. <laughs> All the pictures by my bed. Yeah, why not, yeah. right? Like, life's short enough. Yeah. I'm in no hurry for it to end whatsoever. And and having that tumor was actually like a a weird not a blessing I mean, but yeah man it just reminds you like you got to make every day count and not take it for granted. Uh, anything else before we wrap this doggy up? I don't think I have any more near death things. What about you? No, I don't. You know we actually do have some reader email. Uh, do you want to share our email address with everybody if they want to write in and comment or ask questions? I actually have some questions here from one of our listeners. What's the email? Two brothers, Rocky J Bear at gmail.com. And that they will, that is in the show notes as well, just so everybody knows. Uh, and we love getting email and questions. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so this is from BP who lives in Colorado, but was a high school friend of ours in Phoenix, and he said, actually, I do have a question or two. Did your dad live his whole life in Phoenix? If so, how did your mom meet him, and how did she decide to go back to Ohio? So that's the first question, or the first couple sets of questions. You want to answer that? Yeah, so he lived in Arizona for most of his life. He lived in Ohio, the Cleveland area, and I'm not sure the exact time frame, but it was, I want to say between 66 and 69 so he would have been 17 to 20 um he met our mom at this music club in mentor ohio which is a cleave suburb the hullabaloo hullabaloo right yep suburb of cleveland you know when they met they just danced and talked about the band he asked if she was a regular so they kind of continued to talk for a while at that club started dating and then they got married in 71 and were going to go to Phoenix for the honeymoon, but ended up buying a house out here, is the way mom tells it. In Cleveland? No, Phoenix. 
Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. But I was born in Ohio, so I was born in 72. Yeah. You know, let's ask mom for the exact chronology yeah. because she would have a better idea. Um, and then uh, this his kind of his other question is, also, I didn't realize that you came out alone at first talking about me moving from uh, Ohio to live with dad and that you and Jay Bear were separated for a year. Did that have a big impact? Yeah. I mean, what about you? Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, every time we got on the phone, I kind of told you how great it was mm -hmm. and I wanted you to move out there. And I know that you were pretty bummed when I left. Yeah, no, I was really sad when you left. Um, and yeah, whenever we would talk on the phone, you always made it sound pretty cool. And I, the more we talked, the more the idea grew in my head that I should follow you out here. Yeah, like when I left, were you like, oh, I want to go too? Or were you just like... I remember thinking kind of not either way about it. Okay. Yeah. Well, because I, I was like, yeah, I have my own room. And like you and I had always shared rooms. I'm mm -hmm. like, yeah, dad has a car and we go to restaurants and... We go hunting and shooting. I mean, what what was it actually? Do you remember what it was, or was it just kind of the totality of just the totality, like some sort of stability? Stability. It sounded fun. Like you know, you talked about how you guys went out to eat a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Just totality. Okay. All right. All right. So that's it. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Two Brothers One Dad Dead podcast. Thanks, Jay Bear. Thanks, Rocky J. Bye.